Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, my name is Corey, and today I am teaching part two of our first series titled, Who is God? Now, in the first message, we looked at the logic for believing in God and also the logic for why God is the God of the Bible. So our next question should be, what does the Bible say about God? What is he like? What does he say? As his creation, what does he expect of us? So even though I am the pastor of this church, I am still currently working a full-time job until God says otherwise. And for my job, I'm the general manager of a high-volume Italian restaurant. At my restaurant, there's only one person above me in authority, and that is the owner, Linda. Linda and I have a great relationship. I have worked for her for 28 years, so we know each other very well. Since Linda trusts me and the other managers to run her store, she usually just stops by a couple times a week during the lunch hour to make sure everything is running well. The funny thing about that is that I will hire an employee, and if they only work nights, they may never even see Linda until the Christmas party. So imagine this, they come to work in a building Linda paid for, and they follow all the rules and regulations she has set, they use the computers and delivery cars she paid for, and they show up wearing the uniforms that she provided, and yet they have never even met her and have no idea who she is or what she is like, even though she signs the paycheck that pays for their life. Ironic, right? Well, that is exactly how it is for us on Earth. Every day we wake up in a world that someone else made. We live in a body and think with a mind we didn't create. We breathe air and eat food that were already here when we showed up. And just like the employees with Linda, we have never seen the owner of all the things we experience every day. Think about this. You are not your own. You were made by God and you are currently using the mind and body he created. So technically, you're on lease with God, and just like with any car lease, one day you will be returned to the owner at the appointed time. Now, why God doesn't show himself to mankind until then, I don't know. Like my friend Spencer once said, it would be so much easier if God just showed up on everyone's 13th birthday and told them what's up. But God doesn't reveal himself to us in that way, and so we have to trust that he has good reasons why. I don't have the knowledge or authority to speak on the whys of God. Obviously, God is infinitely smarter than I am, and so he must have a better way of doing things, even if it doesn't make sense to me. This is why Proverbs 3.5 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So we have to work with what God gave us. And what he gave us is a world to live in, a life to live, and an owner's manual for how to live it. So, what does the owner's manual say about the owner? What does the Bible say about God? What is he like? Now, in a few sermons, we can only get our feet wet in the ocean of who God is, and I suspect even in eternity we will struggle to grasp the infinite God. Like Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, there is no searching of his understanding. But even though a finite mind has trouble comprehending the infinite God, God has given us images and terms to help us understand. If you were sent back in time, how would you explain how a modern smartphone works? 
Well, you would use simple terms that your audience would understand to help them. And this is why God refers to himself as a father and as a son and as a spirit, because those are terms we understand. So what does the Bible say about the father, son, and spirit? That is exactly what we will explore over these next six messages. Each person of the Trinity will be explored both in the Old and New Testament. And hopefully at the end of the series, you will have a greater understanding of the infinite God who also happens to be your maker. In this life, we all take a lot of things for granted because, well, it's just always been that way. But why has it always been that way? Another thing that we take for granted is that we all have names. Why don't we all just have a number, like with the government? We have names and titles because God has names and titles. A name represents a person. If I say the name Barack Obama or Donald Trump, those names instantly bring the person to mind I am talking about. And so when it comes to God's name, the Bible says his name is very, very special because of who that name represents. This is why one of the Ten Commandments says we can't take God's name in vain. Vain means to not give something proper respect. So don't ever say, oh my God, unless you are talking to him, because you're breaking his commandment. In my house, we have a rule that you can't use the name of God unless you're talking to him or about him. Even worse than using God's name in vain is to blaspheme the name of God by using it in place of a cuss word. We wouldn't even use our own mother's name as a cuss word, and yet every day men and women take the holy name of God and use it as a cuss word. This is very, very serious and dangerous. Saying Jesus Christ in place of a cuss word is blasphemy against the most powerful person who will ever exist. And God says in the Bible he will punish all those who blaspheme his name. This is why when Jesus taught us to pray, the first thing he said was, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to be revered and treated as extremely important. So names, and especially God's name, is very, very special and important. In the Hebrew Bible, God is referred to primarily by three different names, Elohim, Adonai, and Yahweh. Elohim means God, which is his title, and Adonai means Lord, which is another title or position. And then we have the actual name of God represented by four Hebrew letters that are the English equivalent of YHWH. It's the same for me. I go by the title Dad, and at work they call me Boss, but my name is Corey. The correct pronunciation of God's name is unknown because Hebrew doesn't have vowels and Jews would never say God's name. So even though our Bible is in English, the translators of the Bible let us know which name of God is being used by the text. Elohim is translated as God, Adonai as Lord God with the O-R-D in lowercase. And God's actual name, the translators also chose to use the word Lord, but the O-R-D is capitalized. So now you, as an English reader, can tell in the Bible what name of God is being used. Now let's begin our study with the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a verse. 
If you believe that verse, you won't have any problem with any miracle or story in the Bible. Because creation is God's greatest miracle. What's so cool about this verse is that God gave us a hint in the very first verse of the Bible about who He is. How so? Because in Hebrew, having I am at the end of a word means plurality. In Hebrew, yelad is a child and yeladim means children plural. So technically, El means God singular and Elohim means God's plural. The name Daniel ends in E-L because it means God is my judge. But the Bible translates Elohim as God singular. Why? Because of the verb. In Genesis 1-1, the verb for created in Hebrew, bara, has the tense that one person created. So the pronoun is plural, but the verb is singular, which is wrong grammatically. So the very first verse in the Bible is grammatically incorrect. Why? Because it says multiple gods created the world in unity as one being. That is our first hint of who God is and how he works. God is plural, but does things as one. This is so cool because that means that God has always been three persons. And that means that God has always loved, even before he created others. And as we will learn shortly, if God is only one person and not three persons acting as one, then you will have major contradictions with the Hebrew Bible. So this is crucial to understand. Remember, how does the finite mind understand the infinite God? You do your best. God is both plural and singular. God is three persons behaving as one being, and Scripture time and again validates this. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now the Holy Trinity is clearly taught in the New Testament, but do we see God as three in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible? Well, notice the second verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.2 The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And Psalm 2.11, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. And Isaiah 63.16, You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. So the Hebrew Bible mentions the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And notice Isaiah 48, 16, which records God speaking. And notice what God says. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. Here we have God working as one being in perfect harmony. Three gods, one being. The Holy Trinity is all throughout the Bible. It is important to lay that groundwork before we look at each person of the Trinity individually. So let's dive in and learn some more about our Maker, and especially the Father. In Exodus 33.20, Moses is speaking with the Father, and like any of us would want, he asked to see Him. And notice what the Father said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. 
Mankind is never allowed to see the Father's face on this earth. There is something so special and so holy and so awesome about the Father that any man who saw his face would instantly die. This is not the God who is your buddy, who you put in your pocket and take with you. This God is awesome in the truest sense of the word. Now, not being able to see God's face contradicts other verses in the Hebrew Bible, if there is no Trinity. Because just nine verses before the Father says to Moses that no one can see his face, in Exodus 33:11 it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. So this is obviously a contradiction unless Moses wasn't speaking to the Father's face in that verse. So who was Moses speaking with? He was speaking with the Son. When Moses or anyone else sees the face of God, they are seeing the Son, not the Father. Now, why can we see the face of the Son and not the Father? I have no idea. But John 1.18 makes this clear with another confusing verse. How's that for an oxymoron? So check out this verse and pay attention to what it says. John 1.18 No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Did you catch that? How can the only God be at God's side if He is the only God? Let me read it again. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Interesting, right? But that is what is taught from Genesis to Revelation. All three persons of the Trinity are individually God and collectively God. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, but you know, I'm actually glad that God is hard to comprehend. Because a God we could totally understand and have figured out wouldn't be God. But back to the face of God. I always love to ask someone who is Jewish, who was it that wrestled with Jacob and renamed him Israel? Because Jacob said he wrestled with God, and the person who wrestled with Jacob said he was wrestling with God. And notice what Genesis 32:30 says. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means God's face, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Notice how the reality of seeing God's face and dying was understood by the ancient world. And yet Jacob saw God's face and even named the spot God's face, and he didn't die. So either God is a liar in Exodus 33:20, and by the way the Bible says God can't lie, or Jacob was wrestling with the son and not the father. We see the same thing with Samson's parents in Judges 13. They too saw the face of God and lived, which means they saw the son. So if I'm correct in my simplistic understanding of God, it would seem that the Father is the head of the Trinity and rules from the throne room of heaven. Jesus the Son is seated at his right side, ruling with him, and the Spirit of God is everywhere at the same time, but makes his presence known and seen in specific locations from time to time. And how they are all connected and work together is something we will be exploring for eternity. It is interesting that heaven has a throne, and the Father sits upon that throne, and all the angels and saints come before him. Did you know that there are a few people who were actually given a sneak peek in a heaven's throne room? 
Now, personally, I question all the accounts in our modern day of someone supposedly going to heaven. And I can't personally validate any of them to be true, and some may be, but we don't have to depend on the modern stories of heaven because these four prophets in the Bible definitely saw heaven and wrote down what they saw. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Apostle John all saw heaven through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how the Father blocked his face and showed them some other things about him, but somehow they could see some of his attributes. This is so cool because we can learn something about what our Maker looks like. Notice what it says in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What a sight, awesome and terrifying. Notice how being in God's presence brought the reality of Isaiah's sin to mind and specifically the horrible words that would come out of his mouth. This rule applies to all of us. If you are okay with sin and saying horrible things, you are not close to God. If you are close to God, you are not okay with sin and saying horrible things. Think about that next time you use your phone or computer's keyboard. So back to the Father in heaven. Next, let's look at Ezekiel's vision of heaven in chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne in the appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Wow. Awesome, right? Did you notice how the Father had some human resemblance, but also looks like fire? You know, one of my favorite titles for the Father is in Daniel, where he is called the Ancient of Days. Let's read Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Wow, another intense vision of the Father. Did you notice that the Father is described as having hair? Why do humans have hair? Because you were made in God's image. The Father rules in heaven, but his kingdom has not yet fully come to the earth, which is why we pray for it to come. But it won't be long. A few more years and the bullies of this world will be washed away, and the meek and humble and kind will be ruling this earth, with the Son of Man over all sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Evil will be abolished, and justice will finally prevail. Soon, my friends, very, very soon, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today and may His face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer, or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time, 